2017. Broadcasting from deep within combined territory. It is every citizen's duty to resist the combine and learn the truth. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, developers and mappers, players and slayers, headcrabs and snarks alike. Welcome to Podcast 17, your weekly verbal tour of the Half-Life world, including news, reviews, previews, patches, updates, maps, mods, websites, videos, machinimas and discussions. I am Philip, a.k.a. Planet Philip, and with me today are my co-host, William, a.k.a. Cubic Virtuoso, from weeklygameclub.com and Thomas aka editor321 from halflifecreations.com and perhaps later on joining us will be Emmanuel aka no pk from planet half-life gentlemen start your engines hello everybody welcome to another episode philip that's a long list of things that we cover Are you sure we can cover all that this episode we can but try william we can but try <laughs> anyway, how's it going, guys? Um, this is William, of course. Unfortunately, my if you guys remember from last week, my Steam account, I uh, don't have one, and I still don't have one, so I just like venting at the beginning of the podcast so I can share my sorrows and woes with all of you out there. I better get it soon, because Left 4 Dead's coming out, and I already have it pre-ordered. I don't want to pre-order a fifth copy, and I really want to start preloading. But I can't, so I'm in, like, Steam Limbo. Thomas? Yeah, that sounds to be kind of rough, like, uh, not not to have Left for Dead when it comes out on the, the release day from Steam. Like, I couldn't imagine. It's hard. Thomas, tell us about yourself. Uh, alright. I started off in the mod community around the year 2000 in uh, the Day of Defeat community when it was still young. I did a lot of work with model skins and animations where I learned a lot of my craft. I then moved on to other things and smaller projects like Opposing Force Redux and Invasion Redux sadly never got released. And then in January 2007 I created a website with a fellow named James Marchant. He is also uh, a developer himself. He made Resident Evil Cold Blood and all that wonderful stuff. And we created Half-Life Creations and we've been hosting uh, websites for almost a year and a half now. And, of course, you're from Canada. I am. Which is always a plus here on the show. <laughs> Philip, you want to take us into some podcast news? Podcast news, really, is that we now have a link to the forum on the website. You wouldn't believe how long it took to add about 60 characters to the uh, template, but the forum link is now there, which means there is nothing, and I repeat, nothing stopping listeners from... Visiting the forum and posting comments, questions, suggestions, anything they want to uh, chat about. So it's all up to you. Alongside that is a sub-forum called Transmissions, which allows you to view all of the up-and-coming transmission plans that we have. So basically there's one for next week, which gives you a rundown of the news we plan to talk about, any blast from the past mods, uh, the website of the week, all of those kind of things. You cannot post, unfortunately, but you can view. Oh, oh wait. Or perhaps, no, you can post, but that w- but consider that to be a beta. If we find that it causes more problems than it's worth, then we'll just remove that feature. Sorry about that. Right, and just for clarification, earlier um, registered users couldn't view the transmissions, but that is fixed now. So if you're saying in your head, oh, but we can't see, it's fixed. Don't doubt us. Yes, in fact, doubt me, because that was my fault. Sorry. <laughs> Anything else, Philip? 
or should we move on over to the news? Yeah, we have some things about the podcast, but let's keep them secret for a little while longer. Ha ha ha! That was my evil scientist last. So, on to the news, William. Sure thing, of course. We like to start the news off with uh, Left 4 Dead, as always. And Left 4 Dead is still a huge hot topic going into the second week of the demo. Um, the very first news report that we have here is the Left 4 Dead demo has been patched. Now, a little bit of confusion. Last episode, we were talking about how you can play the infected. And uh, with a few couple console commands, you'd be able to play as the infected and uh, eat your buddy's flesh, so to speak. Unfortunately, as soon as we released that episode, um, Valve patched Left 4 Dead and removed that feature. So, not only can you not play as the infected anymore, but they added a whole bunch of new things, they tuned the matchmaking a little bit, and they fixed a whole bunch of crashes. You know, it's really nice to see uh, a company or a development group patch a demo as much as Valve is. You know what that also tells us? It tells us that the guys at Valve are listening to us. Oh, for sure, and they're keeping an eye, kind of like Big Brother, because they saw that Left 4 Dead 411 post that huge tutorial on how to uh, play as the infected, and then they said, oh, no, we don't really want to add this right now, we don't want to have any confusion. I'm sure they get a lot of uh, bug reports, though, too, saying that playing as infected is buggy, and obviously it's not a feature of the demo, so I can see why they removed it. I thought, I thought a, a bug was an unlisted feature. <laughs> that too, an unlisted feature of the demo. <laughs> if anybody from Valve is listening, please fix William's account. Yeah, please. It'd be nice. My username is Panfry or Panfree. It's it's in your it's it's in your uh, little thing. It's in your queue of support tickets. So just take a look, please. I need my account back. Yeah, and if they're also listening, perhaps they can give me a few free games. I am a pretty large supporter of uh, Valve and all their games that they make even though I don't currently agree with the release of Left 4 Dead, but I'll save that for another time, and you can give me some more games, guys. You know, just drop them in the account. Make them gifts. Well, did you see that they're actually uh, coming out with a new package, too, as well? Um, I noticed this today, this morning. I haven't have... I don't have the link, but, uh... It looks like it's a huge package that costs about $120. I'm gonna find it here. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it is right now, but uh, it's a new package that comes with almost everything Valve-related for about $120, and it retails at about like $236 if you buy all the pieces separately. That's insane. Yeah, I think that's a cheeky way of looking at it, though, because if you, if you add up the price of those games, yeah, maybe they come to 200 but half of the people that are, are, are buying something like that have already got half the games. So I'm a little bit sort of dubious at those kind of things. For for completely new play new players, wow, it's fantastic. But 120 bucks is still quite a lot of money. But I'm sure you get a hell of a lot of gaming for that money. Yeah, actually, I found it now. It's called the Valve Complete Pack. It comes with Counter Strike, Counter Strike Condition Zero, Source, Day of Defeat, Day of Defeat Stores, Deathmatch Classic, Half Life, Half Life Two, Half Life Two Deathmatch, Episode One, Episode Two Lost Coast, Source, Blue Shift, Opposing Force. Half-Life Source, Left 4 Dead, Peggle, Portal, Raquette, Team Fortress 2, and TFC. It's a big list. Is that all? Actually, I <laughs> propose an idea. 
a long time ago, which was kind of like um, dollars for points, where basically you put money into a, like an account and they had points for each game. And you could almost like pick and mix so that you could choose different games. And of course, it would need to be quite a complicated structure so that the more games you bought in one time, each one was less. But instead of giving them a, like a, a fixed choice, it seems to me that digital uh, software distribution gives you the opportunity to do anything you want. And I thought it would be, you know, kind of cool that you could, you know, just choose the games you wanted and got like a, um, sorry, a special personal unique pack just for you. That would be very cool. But have you seen that Microsoft is also getting into digital distribution, kind of like a Steam platform? They announced that either this week or last week. I can't quite recall. Yeah, I saw it, but I didn't. I didn't bother reading it because, to be honest, Valve is the only company I buy games from. I haven't bought a game in, boah, probably at least a year and a half, maybe more. Besides uh, Half Life Two. Yeah. Anyway, moving on uh, for Left 4 Dead, a couple other things that should be noted in the uh, updates. Uh, you might have noticed that you can play with community groups now. On top of matchmaking, play with friends. You can play with community, and uh, if you if you part of a group, say the Left 4 Dead 411 group, or just something like all worship Cubic Virtuoso group, you can play with all people who worship Cubic Virtuoso, which is great if they're not on your friends list. So it's kind of a cool little matchmaking uh, extra that they added. And, of course, the public demo was released, so you, if you haven't pre-purchased the game, you can play the public demo, and obviously, as I stated before, you can preload Left 4 Dead now for the upcoming release. Thomas, are you playing Left 4 Dead? Uh, to be honest, well, I am not. I, w I played the demo just a few days ago with a few friends over at Planet Half-Life, and I'll be honest, I was quite disappointed in what they had produced. Is there any specific reason, or did you find the demo too short? It was nothing wrong with the demo itself. I was looking at the game more as a whole. Um, I really... I, I know this is a sin, but I compared it very heavily to Zombie Panic, and uh, they they have really they have done things right. Zombie Panic, I firmly believe that. Um, some of the key problems that I found with Left 4 Dead was just the fact that it plays so much like a Source mod. Like it really feels to me like uh, Half-Life 2 NPCs and Counter-Strike Source weapon physics. I felt that it was very much a Valve game, and I knew I was playing a Valve game. See, I don't see that as much of an issue, though, because uh, we'll get a little bit later into the show. I've been playing a lot of Battlegrounds 2 recently, and, you know, it's just the polish that Valve puts on games that I really enjoy. Philip, you finally played the demo, too. What do you think? Kind of scared to hear this. Boring. To be honest, um, I agree with uh, Thomas. It's to me, it's very clear it's a, a Valve game, and they do the details very, very well. But I just felt that I, I didn't have anything new. I mean, it's not that it's a Valve game; it's a, it's the fact that it's a zombie game. I, I mean, zombie games just bore me. And I think you're right. That Thomas has almost, you know, kind of put the nail, hit the nail on the head there. Really, what we've got is just a glorified mod now. That sounds pretty harsh because I haven't played the whole game. And in fact, I haven't even played the whole demo because I got bored. And I'll talk about that in a second. But perhaps really that's all it is, a glorified mod? I, I would have to agree with you on the whole glorified mod aspect because there are clearly other mods out there that are way more advanced in terms of a feature list. But I like how basic 
think it is. Um, I don't want to be um, compounded with a whole bunch of weapon resets, and I don't want to be compounded with a whole bunch of uh, controls that I have to memorize or complicated class listing. I just want to go out with my friends and uh, beat on zombies, and that's what Left 4 Dead delivers to me. But you didn't play with friends. No, but I don't want to play with friends. Uh, this is another one of the, the, the points about my particular playing style. Uh, I, you know, I joke on here, oh, I haven't got any friends. Of course, I've got lots of friends I could play with, but I don't want to play with friends. I want to be Gordon Freeman. I want to be a hero on my own. I don't want to have anybody helping me. I don't want to have any squads. I want to do everything on my own. And I don't like co-op games or, you know, normal MP games. So that's another reason that I didn't enjoy it. Because, you know, it seems that it's geared around co-op, which of course it is, and I respect that. Just that I can't like everything that they make simply because Valve make it. And I'm a little bit worried that we have, like, the Emperor or the King's New Clothes here. That some people are saying they love it and they like it simply because it's Valve, and they don't really want to take a step back and say, okay, let me judge this game purely for what it is, not who made it. Yeah, I think you have a really uh, legitimate point there, to be honest. People are judging it because it is a Valve game, so all Valve games are, you know, the all and all. But at the same time, I, I don't know if we should cover this topic right now, or maybe wait till No PK shows up, but uh, it seems that developers now are developing games uh, for a multiplayer genre, and just added tacking on single player as an extra whereas a couple years ago it would be develop the game for single player tack on multiplayer as an extra with of course the exception of blizzard who obviously made starcraft and etc etc but what do you feel about uh developing companies just kind of neglecting the entire single player genre of a game i i really think that will is providing a very valid point it is very hard to find a game these days that uh, has that um, single-player campaign that you buy the game for. Like, it is very clear to say, and I, and I can say this with a lot of confidence, that nobody bought Halo 3 for the story. People bought it because it was an online first-person shooter for the Xbox 360. That's one example I wanted to put out there. The other is of Command & Conquer, and I'm going to look at two titles, uh, Command & Conquer Generals and Command & Conquer Red Alert 3. Um, Command and Conquer Generals had absolutely, like, the single-player campaign was absolute balls. They didn't have any FMV uh, videos in it. There was no real complex storyline. It was clearly developed for the online play, and I felt cheated. I thought it was a piece of garbage. Whereas Red Alert 3 that just came out has an immaculate single-player storyline that you can actually play cooperatively, which is the best of both worlds on top of your standard multiplayer. So there is ways of doing it right, but there's also ways of doing it wrong, and I think that a lot of these game uh, developing companies are aiming for the multiplayer demographic because they want them to play the game for longer. Another recent example that uh, I've been playing with Nick, our producer, is uh, Call of Duty World at War, which is an ex excellent example of how much the single player sucks and uh, how hard it is, because it's, it's like the Left 4 Dead syndrome. Uh, they develop a single player, but the bots... And they're not that great, and I wish there was more to the whole single-player experience. Because I do play it at school, and school blocks, uh, my school blocks Steam over wireless. So I find myself on my laptop just playing single-player Left 4 Dead. And I quit fairly soon, because I do get bored, as Philip says. It's not until you add that uh, second person. And that's an issue, I think. Because what happens when people stop playing Left 4 Dead? And people become uh, more and more fragmented. 
then the game will die because it can't drive itself on its own. Uh, it needs other people to drive it. And when, when a development company relies on an external source to drive their game, you really have an issue. Um, the entire drive of the game should be internal, in my opinion. And internal being the game and not the community ex outside of it. So, I don't know. It, it worries me a bit how people are moving more towards multiplayer, but at the same time, uh, I really do enjoy co-op experiences, and if they do it right, it's it's enjoyable, and uh, and I have a lot of, a lot of fun with co-op experiences. I agree. I agree with what you're saying, and I think that generally the the development community is maybe moving away from single player games. If we think back a few years, there was a, quite a few sort of uh, B movie um, SP games released. There was uh, Uber Soldier and Uber Soldier Two, and uh, lots. There were lots of them that I can't even think of now. And, and they and they just sort of they were released and they had maybe a little bit of a story, but they really sort of died. And I think developers have have shied away from those kind of things now because making a really good SP game is taking more and more resources. And really, how how much effort does it make to make a uh, MP map? Not very much. And so you keep that idea going. Well, it takes a lot less work making an MP game. Okay, let's let's put them. You know, let's let's make those instead. And I think that generally the the gaming community or the gaming industry is moving that way and in some ways that's good because if anybody's played the nintendo wii that is just unbelievable fun and maybe that's the key to future gaming but then gamers like me could get left behind who just really want to sit in their office with the computer on at you know late at night playing an sp game so I don't know. I can understand why they're doing it, because maybe the future is that way, but they're going to leave a lot of people out. Well, and then the other side of the coin, too, um, when you develop a single-player game like Uber Soldat, Soldat, which is what you're talking about, uh, what do you do afterwards? Um, how, to, how do you encourage your community to keep playing? How do you encourage new players to come in into the game? Um, obviously, a single-player game, a strictly single-player game, has a much shorter lifeline than uh, a a multiplayer game or a game that has some multiplayer component that has been polished. Uh, so I think when you develop a game that's just single player, you're really limiting yourself uh, to a specific time span, which I'm sure a lot of developers are worried about. They see, you know, the Halo franchises and the Call of Duty franchises that live on or that that have a much longer life cycle than, uh, say, a very, very good single player game. And that worries them, so they have to go multiplayer. But uh, back to Left 4 Dead, though. I don't. Left 4 Dead is, in my opinion, an excellent game. I know how you guys are saying that. Uh, I I might be liking it. Okay, I'll, I'll admit I might be liking it because it's a Valve game, and I know it's simple. I know it's nothing special, but I just have so much fun with it, and I love playing with my friends. I have a really good group of friends, but I'll have to admit. If I didn't have that group of friends, I don't think I would like the game. I've been playing on online matches where they automatically add people to your server, and I don't enjoy it. I really don't, because I don't feel like I have a connection to those people, and Left 4 Dead's all about the ambience and having a connection to the people you're playing with. So, unless you're playing with friends, I'm not going to play it. And that, that worries me. No, and I think you raise an excellent point. Like, I don't hate Left 4 Dead, but I also can't justify paying sixty four ninety nine for a game that doesn't per, that does not wow me. 
and that that's just another issue altogether that you could go in at a later date on one of your shows but 6499 is an awful lot to shell out on a game that I just don't have that ex that the feeling of excellence you know emanating from it from the pedestal of glory yeah for sure there's other uh you know, IGN, I just recently listened to the IGN podcast, um, their PC podcast, and they're uh, praising Left 4 Dead as well. But I think a lot of a lot of review sites like IGN or, say, GameSpot come from uh, a background where Half-Life isn't big in their lives, where we come from a background where Half-Life is big. So we're sp- expecting a huge amount of things from Valve, and uh, they're not really delivering and, of course, that's corporate, like you said in chat, yeah, Thomas. <laughs> Going back to a point you made earlier, uh, William, about the game not lasting very long if, it, if it's an SP and what do they do next. Well, in Uber Soldier's case, they released Uber Soldier 2, uh, and that kind of bypassed everybody's radar. But the biggest problem is they don't release an editor. And if you look at any of the SP games that have survived more than two or three years, they have all come with an editor. You could talk about some of the games in the past. I loved Chaser, and it had an editor, but apparently it was quite difficult to work with. But we're still playing Half-Life. It's 10 years old um, in three days, and we're still playing it. Why? Because we have those maps and mods, and that's the way to go forward with the SP game. But you must make sure that your story and your game itself is made for making mods. So just to finish on that particular point. Yeah, I agree too. There are some single-player games that uh, I have to admittedly enjoy better than Half-Life. A perfect example is uh, Tron 2.0. That's one of my favorite, favorite single-player games. And, uh, you know, obviously System Shock 2. Um, The reason they're not in my top, though, is, you know, like you said, with the editor and the amount of material that is available to me. Because once I play a game, yeah, I can be bored. Um, It's great to have a favorite, but I can't just keep playing that favorite. It eventually loses its pizzazz so to speak but you're right let's move on um i think that's enough (laughs) just while we're talking about left for dead we got a couple of things to mention the first one is that um we mentioned about dragging drop dropping some of the maps from cs and um, half-life i've had a few people email me saying that whilst it does work there's a lot of errors because if you don't have the right uh, textures in the right folder it causes a lot of problems have you guys experienced that well probably not thomas i haven't experienced it because i didn't bother but I had an issue. Um, yeah, I was trying to import the Mirror's Edge uh, map. This is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier. I was at school, and I was bored because I didn't want to play Left 4 Dead single player, so I was trying to import things um, just you know haphazardly, just for fun, see if I could play. And I had it working, and then there was a couple models missing, and so I figured I should move a little bit more of the files from the Mirror's Edge source. Uh, mod, so to speak, over to Left 4 Dead, and then I ended up breaking my entire Left 4 Dead, and that really sucked, because <laughs> I was at school, and like I said, I can't get on Steam, and I can't repair, so I was left with basically nothing, and I didn't back anything up. So yeah, it isn't specifically drag and drop, as you said. So basically, you were left for dead. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. Although this this morning, um, I noticed on Left 4 Dead 411, they posted a new Left 4 Dead map called uh, Left 4 Dead Dust Bowl, and they pretty much imported TF2's Dust Bowl almost exactly perfectly from what I could tell in the video. I haven't played it yet, but uh, it looks awesome. They were playing through the entire Dust Bowl map. From the video, at least. Yeah, just a quick note. Uh... A good friend of mine, 
Ackhart, he's also a writer for Planet Half-Life and a good supporter of HLC. Um, he's done a lot of work with importing the maps and what have you. Apparently what you need to do to get them to work the best is you need to extract the GCFs. Like, you need to extract your uh, shared source GCF and a whole bunch of your uh, Counter-Strike source GCF files because Left 4 Dead cannot read GCFs. And it's going to try and pull the files out of there, and it's just not going to get it. Oh, so that's an interesting fix. So you can get, of course, Nemesis GCF scape or anything uh, like that to extract your GCFs. We could post a link on the show notes if you're interested in doing that, all you listeners who play Left 4 Dead. Okay, so I, as we talked about earlier, I installed the uh, public demo, and when it first installed, I noticed that it said six days left, and I, I was thinking, well, what's that, like a time demo? Nobody said anything about that. And then slowly my brain slowly filtered the information, and I realized that the six days was related directly to the release of the game. And I'm curious, does anybody know whether the public demo will stop working when the game's released? Because I'll be, I'll be a little frustrated if that's true. I don't think it will, however, I could be wrong. I know they, uh... Although, at the same time, I think it could. I don't know, now I'm confused. Because I don't know why why, they would have... Why put put a a time uh, notice on there if they're not going to do something with it? Maybe it starts again, or... I don't know, but I haven't heard any public announcement about that. Is it perhaps that that countdown... Like, I really don't care about Left 4 Dead, so I don't actually know the day it's coming out, but is that timer counting down, perhaps, to the release of the actual game? Perhaps? I don't know. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is. It is that's, down to the... that's what I thought I said, but what I'm saying is that once it's released, does it mean that all the people who haven't bought it yet, you know, they can't play a demo, or is it the people that, who have downloaded the demo, Valve are basically saying, look, you either buy the game or you don't play the demo. Yeah, I think they'll keep the demo around. I don't see why they wouldn't do that. But at the same time, um, you know, there's not a demo for TF2 out there. There's not a demo for Day of Defeat Source out there. So why would there be a demo of Left 4 Dead? That's. I think that's kind of pretty simple, because Left 4 Dead, you can play on your own. Like, it has the uh, NPCs, whereas the other two mods you mentioned do not. Like, there's no complex enough NPC to simulate that kind of gameplay. Good That's point. true too, but Good point. what are they going to do then? If they keep the demo around, um, is there going to be specific servers that are only running the demo version of the game, and then are there going to be specific servers that are only running the retail version of the game? I think that's going to be rather complicated. But Or maybe they could just strip out the whole multiplayer thing. I reckon that they'll basically say, if you've downloaded the demo and you've played it, then you either buy it or you don't play the demo anymore. If you haven't downloaded it, well, you can download it. Yeah, that's that's another good point, too. I'm not sure. Maybe we can look into that, and uh, I'll research into that when we're done recording and put it in the show notes so we can clarify for people, um, because I'm sure you're all wondering as well. Moving on, though, uh, as a good segue, Zombie Panic Source came out with an update off of Steam. Now, Thomas, you were talking about Zombie Panic Source. You seem to be, like, a really good supporter of this mod. Do you have anything to say about the update? Uh, I honestly haven't had the chance to play the update, but uh, the mod itself impressed me immensely. I did a review for them a while ago now for Planet Half-Life, and I was just impressed how well the gameplay mechanics worked. And I think it's an excellent example of what you can do with a, with gameplay and not necessarily focus on so many professional aspects. I remember you guys were mentioning in another podcast that uh, 
you know, people are concerned about making releases that aren't completely bug-free, and Zombie Panic Source, while it's not completely bug-free, just produces a really awesome experience that, you know, you can actually jump into a server with other people that you don't know, unlike Left 4 Dead, and actually have a lot of fun over the mic channels and stuff, and it's just good fun. Good, clean, simple fun. Yeah, I remember playing Zombie Panic Source back in the early days. Um, I haven't played the newest version yet. I plan on doing it. I downloaded it last night, but I haven't had time to play it yet. Um, but, like I said, version 1.4 is out. I can read this changelog, but nobody really cares. If you if you really care, you can read it yourself and click on the link. But uh, just be aware that 1.4 is out. You can download it through Steam. And uh, I just want to let people know about that. Because Zombie Panic is a pretty big mod. I mean, it's on Steam like natively now, which is pretty good. Talking about a native mod to Steam, though, another mod that was updated was Age of Chivalry. Why can't I say that? Oh, my God. Um, 1.2.2. Now, this is the first time I've ever played this mod, and I contrasted it. I just want to mention this a little bit. I contrasted it with Battlegrounds 2, which also had an update today, 1.2.1. Or not today, this week. So 1.2.1 of Battlegrounds 2 is really... And 1.2.2 of Age of Chivalry was released. And I have to say, Age of Chivalry was extremely fun. I had such a good time with that. I think their melee system is so polished and it's such a fun game. And Battlegrounds 2 does not deliver as its original did for Half-Life 1. I remember playing Battlegrounds 2 when it originally came out too. And the melee was so horrendous, I just immediately uninstalled it because it was nothing of what I wanted to play and 1.2.1 is just the same the melee is horrible absolutely horrible they need to take some people from Age of Chivalry and say hey fix our melee system because it's bad it's really bad has any of you guys played this mod I haven't but uh, it's not really my kind of mod that's the that's the problem with this te- this section of the podcast that most of the mods you guys talk about I just have a plate so I don't really have anything to add sorry <laughs> I just wanted to mention that because I know a lot of people used to play Battlegrounds in the Half-Life 1 series and uh you know the melee was really fun do you have a comment though Philip on uh the Half-Life 2 melee system or the source melee system do you find that that's wonky through some single-player games that you've played, or even using the crowbar, as opposed to crowbar in Half-Life 1. No. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure what you mean by me- melee. I mean, you're talking about in-close fighting with without, like, uh, projectile weapons, yes? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Well, the only thing that I do notice between um, Half-Life 1 and 2 is that the zombies in Half-Life 1 seem to be able to hit you when you were further away, whereas the zombies in Half-Life 2, you can sort of stand back what seems to be the right distance and not get hit, whereas in Half-Life 1, you'd be so far away and you'd still seem to get hit. But I don't really use a crowbar to kill things very much. I mean, I prefer shooting them unless I'm, like, really low on ammo. So I'm not really a melee player. Yeah, I've always felt that Valve didn't put enough polish into their close-quarters fighting in uh, Half-Life 2, and in the Source engine. I don't know why, but I never felt the same love and attachment I felt to it than I did with Half-Life 1. But I think Age of Chivalry really fixes that. And uh, Battlegrounds 2, they still need to work it out. And I think a lot of mods right now are struggling with the melee system. Anyway, that's the topic I wanted to talk about that. Uh, Moving on, though. They Hunger released a Steam update. Not much to say about that. It just fixes... 
um, playing it on Steam. So if you're a They Hunger fan, a Neil Mang fan, uh, USS Darkstar, which we'll talk about in a little sec, um, if you're anything of Neil Mang and you haven't played through all of They Hunger 1, 2, or 3, you should definitely play it. It's so fun. Philip, you've had to have played They Hunger. Boring. You just don't like zombies. Yeah, that's right. I just don't like zombies. So, I mean, I started I started playing it, and it was like, oh, okay, just like zombies, okay. And let's go over here in it. Oh, look, it's another zombie. Oh, great. Oh, what's over in there? Oh, look, gee, surprise, it's another zombie. I'm sorry, I don't like zombies. <laughs> uh, Thomas? Um, I enjoyed They Hunger. I thought it was really... It, it was something that needed to be done, and it hadn't been done in Half-Life yet. And I think that's... That's what a lot of the popularity it was, is that it was very original, and it still is. Like, some of the concepts were borrowed, of course, but every free modification, I think, is guilty of doing that somewhere along the line. Neil Mank is a mod maker. He he just spits them out. At least during his uh, Quake and Half-Life 1 years, he was making uh, Quake maps. I don't know if any of you guys have gone that uh, far back in his history to play those, but they were really awesome stuff for the time. Um, still waiting on uh, the the new They Hunger that they're working on. It's supposed to be a commercial release. Haven't heard anything for over like a year, I believe. So hopefully it's still going along as scheduled. Yeah, Black Widow Studios um, is really good at keeping things under wraps until they're ready to release, uh, you know, a full game. And we've talked about that on previous podcasts, keeping all your information secret until it comes out. But uh, yeah, Neil Mank is definitely um, guilty of that. I wonder how the release of Left 4 Dead affected the um, media releases or release of uh, They Hunger Source or whatever it will be called because I get the feeling it's going to be a, a similar game. So I'm sure somebody said to them, okay, hold off just for a little bit longer. Well, that too, and think about uh, how Zombie Panic feels or Zombie Master or any of those zombie mods. It seems like these couple of weeks have been all about zombies. In uh, you know, Half-Life is really transforming into a zombie medium, it looks like. And Left 4 Dead, I fear, fear Left 4 Dead's going to take over a lot of that because it is uh, a AAA title, uh, main game, uh, you know, retail Valve release. And obviously it's going to get more popularity than the other games. So I just hope they don't drown, so to speak, in the Left 4 Dead waters. True. It's just that. And as Thomas said, but at $65, whether that's Canadian or US, there's going to be a lot of people who say, I don't really want to spend that money. I'll just carry on playing Zombie Panic or any of the, oh my God, Zombies LOL or all of those ones. They'll just carry on with them if they don't want to spend the money. That's true. Yeah, a lot of people are cheap. Uh, not just cheap, but they're they're careful with how they spend their money too. Um, if there, if there's a version out there that's free and almost exactly the same thing, then they'll just keep playing that. They won't play the new stuff, or I guess the uh, the mo- most out- most updated version, I should say, or professional release. But uh, fistful of frags. Moving on here, they also released an update, two point one. I'm not sure what's included in this update, but I never got into Fistful of Frags. I always install it, and I'm always saying, okay, I'm going to play Fistful of Frags, but uh, not one of the games that I usually play. It seems to be a melee-type game, too. Has anybody played this? Um, I've played it extensively. I, again, did a review for Planet Half-Life for this one. Um, I would argue that it is melee-based. There is... 
very wide uh, array of weapons to choose from. And I'll start off by saying I'm a Maritimer. I hate everything that's Western. I hate Clint Eastwood unless he's in uh, Heartbreak Ridge or some army movie. And I actually enjoyed playing this. It was a guilty pleasure because I just I hate everything Western. And it was fun. The gameplay mechanics are incredibly simple, but that's that's allowed. And I think that's where all these uh, big title mods are coming from, is that fun and simple mechanics seem to work. And uh, Fistful of Frags is another one. The graphics and sound are of very high quality uh, for a mod team that doesn't really have too many popular heavy hitters in the modding community. Like, they really almost came out of nowhere. I, I hate to say that, but that's how it felt for me. as like, oh, look at this, Fistful of Frags, what's this? And you read into it. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you, because I don't remember much PR about Fist, Fistful of Frags uh, when Half-Life 2 was released. Nobody ever said, hey, we're developing this mod. You're right, it just popped out and said, here you go, download it, play it online, go, you know, shoot some people, Western style. Of course, I haven't played it, so I can't really comment extensively, but it looks good, and I have huge respect for people who go out and they have their vision, and they say, oh, I want to do a Western mod, and I want to... You know, who shoot in Western saloons and stuff like that at high noon, and it looks kind of fun. And if you know this is your, you know, the kind of game that you like to play, then it looks like you definitely should go out and play it. And Thomas makes an interesting point that it's simple mechanics. And I'd like to mention here that too many teams try to reinvent the wheel, or they're gonna never before seen gameplay features in this mod, and it never happens. So make it simple and make it fun. Yeah. And like just just to add on to that, because I know I said simple gameplay mechanics, and I didn't really explain why. It it's literally red versus blue in a western setting with western equipment. Like the only like interesting mechanics that they add, and I don't mean to, to knock on them, because I think what they've done is really great. They've kept it simple, and like the more people you kill, the more points you get, and that's how you unlock different weapons is throughout the game. And it's not. Uh, it's not save statistics, so every time you join the game, you start off from step one and you work your way through that game before the level change. And, you know, the more people you kill, you can pick up, uh, like, dual pistols so you can, you know, kick down the door and start, you know, saying, I'm the Lord of the Harvest, bring it down, bring it down, that kind of stuff. And that... It's just simple fun. Exactly. You got it. That, that's the statement right there that sums up what is Fistful of Frags. <laughs> I got one more piece of multiplayer news before we move on to the single player stuff, so Philip can chime in. Um, I, I, <laughs> I have deep down in my heart a specific place, a special place for Sven Co-op, and I think the listeners are going to get really mad because if there's any Sven Co-op news, I'm going to talk about it in the show. If it's just a model, I'm going to talk about it in the show. So you guys are just going to have to put up with it. And uh, Sven Co-op is actually creating uh, a segue. Uh, add-on slash mod called Land of Legends. And if there's any Sven Co-op fans out there, you might have remembered the Legend series from Dynamo XP. He created um, an add-on for Sven Co-op, just a couple maps and, you know, models and weapons as, as such. And uh, also Jesus worked on it. Sorry, sorry, not Dynamo XP. Uh, Jesus worked on Land of Legends. Um, 
And it was completely different than Sven Co-op. It was kind of cartoony, RPG element, you go on quests, and now they're actually making their own mod separate of Sven Co-op. So it seems they're going to steer away from that and kind of take the same Sven Co-op engine and creating their own mod called Land of Legends, and they're going to work on that in its entirety. So I just wanted to let people know about that, if there's any Sven Co-op listeners, or anybody who really likes an RPG single-player element. Kind of cartoony, though, too. It sounds kind of fun. I mean, I think they described it as a sub-mod, which I thought was uh, kind of cool. Uh, again, as I said earlier on, I respect people who try and do something different, and it doesn't take long to try something, and if you like it, then, you know, keep playing it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, that's that's definitely a good point. You know, the Sven Co-op community is much different than any other community, so they're used to terms like sub-mods or, you know, a total conversion for Sven Co-op. <laughs> Uh, it's it's quite common to see something like that there. It's because it's an easy way for somebody to release a whole bunch of single player maps and play with friends, which is nice, especially for the Jesus and his Land of Legends team. Okay, single player time. Single player time. First thing on our list is uh, Outbreak Episode One, which is a Resident Evil type mod. Uh, you can check out the link and download it. It's on Planet Philip. It clocks in at uh, 156 megabytes. But in my opinion, I'd have to say a hundred of those megabytes is useless. <laughs> this mod is not good. I have a couple notes here, uh, but before I get to them, Philip, you want to talk about it? Have you played it? Yeah, I, I played it, and I'm panicking now because I agree with you. 156 mods and uh, is a lot for what seems to be there. And at the same time, I have it at 156, but the EXE is 200 and something. So I'm when I finish talking, I'm going to go and have a quick look in my source mods folder to make sure that uh, the author didn't include some of the sounds that sometimes get included. Because you're right, for 156 megs, whoa, there's hardly anything new. Uh, I haven't played any uh, Resident Evil games, so I'm kind of playing this like a real freshman here. Uh, I've seen the films, of course, but I, I don't have any nostalgic element. And uh, I thought that, you know, the author really was trying to do something good and I kind of got this special thing on Planet Philip called the five word review and basically if it was like a school report it would be works hard but could do better um, he's tried hard but really he needs to do a lot more work on it I mean I felt the architecture was a little strange in places the pistol was definitely underpowered I mean when it takes three hits or thereabouts to kill a zombie with the crowbar and it takes like 10 or 11 shots with the pistol you know that there's something wrong uh, I also noticed that I felt I could probably run through the whole mod without touching or killing any enemy and to me that shows a, a problem with the layout yeah that's the that definitely one of my points uh, as usual I played it on hard um, in terms of a Resident Evil mod, there wasn't much in terms of the Resident Evil story. Uh, you run through uh, an Umbrella Corporation type facility in Raccoon, but there's not nothing much there other than that. So don't feel like you missed out because you haven't been following the Resident Evil franchise. One thing that really bothered me about the story, and here comes a spoiler alert, you're supposed to be hunting down this guy named Jerome. And Jerome is obviously caught in this zombie outbreak as much as you are and uh, you are a type of assassin hunting him down in raccoon city but 
this is keep in mind this is only episode one, and about halfway through episode one, which is only about a thirty minute game, you end up killing Jerome, and that bothered me because you know the author had a really good opportunity there to have an interesting narrative where you as the protagonist or antagonist, however you looked at it, um, ran through a story trying to find this guy named Jerome, whilst at the same time, there's a zombie outbreak. And then maybe, in the end, you two could kind of work together or join forces, but still, at the same time, you're sworn enemies. But I think he killed off the antagonist too quickly. That It just really, really bothered me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a good, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, if it's supposed to last three or four episodes, then, you know, it, it, it's over. And you're right, he could have joined forces with Jerome, and you could have fought your way out of this final battle with all those zombies, and then you'd become mortal enemies again. So that's a good idea, William. You know, there's a, a point where um, you could have, you know, switched the story. Instead of being after him, you needed him. And perhaps if he died, then the mod would have to start again or something. Thomas, did you play this? Um, to be honest, I haven't. Like, uh, I'm not a huge follower of Resident Evil at all, unfortunately. It's just a game series I never, I never really picked up because it was a console game, and I'm a PC gamer through and through. Um, but from what you guys have been talking about, it sounds like he did uh, some things right. Like, um, when you kill off a main character, uh, such as this Jerome character that he was supposed to assassinate, it might mean that the author has planned something a lot bigger that we haven't seen yet. And since this is the first episode, I'll be like, okay, I really hope you did that for a good reason, because if not, I'm going to be pissed later. But for, if I if that happened to me in a game, I'd be like, uh, let's see where you're going with this. Like, I, I would take a little bit more, I would take a step back before I got uh, a little annoyed. That's true, we have to take it with a grain of salt, too. Uh, there could be bigger and better plans in the future, or maybe Jerome comes back to life, or maybe Jerome that wasn't really Jerome, and that was Jerome clone, and that's why they're zombies, because Umbrella was dealing with cloning techniques. Yeah, but now we're, we're clutching at straws. I mean, if we have uh, an author who we know to have a history of interesting story details, then fine. We can say, oh, OK, let's just wait and see. But we're looking at an author who's new and, you know, we don't really know. And we know that there's lots of mistakes in the first one. So that doesn't give us complete confidence. Um, a couple other elements of the game that really bothered me was the sound. The music was awesome. Um... Um, but I think it was just a direct port from other Resident Evil games, so, uh, you know, I have to take that with a grain of salt as well. The, there was some good voiceovers in the beginning, like the opening movie was okay, it was pretty good voiceovers, and I was, I was hoping they would go along with that, and as soon as I saw that opening video, I was like, wow, this is a really serious mod. But then, you get into the game with its blocky architecture, uh, poor lighting, none of the models or none of the static props were lighted properly, the whole thing was too easy, um, you know, like I said, the whole failed narrative, uh, and then you hear these horrible, horrible announcer sounds. I don't know if you remember, Philip, but I couldn't even understand what the announcer in the game, like the overhead PA system, was saying to me, and it was constantly on a loop. Yeah, I agree. I think I mentioned it in my brief review on Planet Philip, that the, some of the, the oh, voice okay. acting was quite good. But some of it was just, oh, just couldn't understand a word. And it was quite frustrating because maybe it was giving me information that I needed to use. So that was a, a little disappointing. 
Yeah, so that's that's about all uh, we probably have to say about Outbreak Episode 1. Episode 2 should be coming out. Uh, they have some really promising screenshots on their ModDB profile, but that's why I was really hopeful downloading Episode 1. It doesn't really deliver what they've been showing, in my opinion. Anyway, next mod here on our list is Night Terror, the pre-release. I haven't been able to play this because I don't have Half-Life 2 Episode 1. So, Philip, why don't you talk about this? Uh, this was very good. Um, unfortunately, I think the editor, the author, sorry, has released this a little bit early because uh, there's a lot of thing, there's a lot of areas that you can walk into at the beginning that you shouldn't. And maybe I'm being a little hard, but I feel that if it's a beta release, the author should be fairly comfortable that what he's got is is good and he's looking to tweak it. But here, you can just walk into the back and just fall off the cliff and things. But if you ignore the back part and you only go forward, it's very good. I felt that the architecture was very nice. It made you feel that you were really in an abandoned area. The lighting was good, but I was questioning, why is it so bright? Why are the lights on if this place has been abandoned for 23 years? Uh, well, the author says that uh, one of the side quests will be to turn on the lighting in a, either an earlier part or the Rebels did. Overall, it was good, but there's places where you can get to that you shouldn't. Like you can, you know, uh, stack some crates and then jump over a fence and suddenly you're stuck. Uh, and I don't like those kind of things. I don't really want him to put an invisible wall there. I want a little more thought into it. I felt that generally there wasn't enough action. Now, this is only a beta and perhaps he's going for setting the scene, getting the right ambience and atmosphere. But as it stands, as a standalone, I wanted more action. But... A hundred times better than um, Outbreak, sorry. But uh, it was very, very good. Definitely worth a play if you're interested in beta releases. Yeah, I was looking forward to this, and I wish I would have played it uh, when it came out, because now I have to wait until my Steam is fixed, so... Oh well. That might not be a bad thing, though, because you get to, to play it sort of in all its glory, as it were. Yeah, that's true too. You are talking about it as a beta. Um, how do you feel though, a uh, uh, question that just popped into my head and maybe Thomas can talk about this too. How do you feel about playing betas and then later on playing the game in its full glory? Do you find that you get bored of the game? Like playing it a second time? Yeah, this is a really excellent question. Um, in terms with single player, I don't know too many mods that have actually released uh, single player betas. Like that, that to me is kind of odd and I don't want to say dumb, but that's how I that's really how I feel because if you release a beta of a single player game, then I'm going to be bored to tears when you finally release it cuz now I have to fight through all the other crap that you released beforehand. And that kind of takes away from the unique experience. I figure the only betas you should be releasing are the ones for your multiplayer components. And um really great examples that I know well are the old Dave Defeat betas. They were and it's still, in my opinion, the better games, but it's a story for another day. But I really, yeah, if you're going to release a beta, it has to be multiplayer. If it's single player, then you're going to detract from the experience and the overall, I don't know the word I'm looking for, the illusion, that's the one. I'm afraid I disagree with you, Thomas, and the reason I disagree with you is because you have a choice. You can choose to play the beta, or you choose not to. And in this particular case, maybe the author didn't have enough friends or colleagues or people that he knew to actually test it. So I think releasing is good because it will eventually improve the final product. But as long as it's made very clear that this is a beta, 
then you know you you do have a choice you don't have to play it and eventually it will be better because it has been released as a beta i'm a, i'm a strong supporter of beta um releases and not enough people do that although maybe you shouldn't release it publicly then but you should definitely get it released going back to william's question i played uh the early part of a beta of a mod called offshore and i stopped and i stopped because i was loving it and I realized that I didn't want to spoil it if I only had to play it again, because I very, very rarely play mods twice. Um, so if it's a short beta, then I'll play it. If it's a long one, I won't even think about it unless I'm specifically requested to test parts of it, because it will spoil it for me. So do you feel uh, this mod, as a beta, accurately reflects the game as a whole, or what you expect the game to be as a whole? Because there's a lot of betas up there, and, you know, AAA developers are notorious for this. They release a beta or a pre-release demo, and it's just the first couple levels. And that's it. It's just, you know, like I said, the first couple levels. So when you play the actual game, you play the exact first couple levels again. Um, do you feel that this game, or this mod that we're talking about here, um, is kind of like a haphazard conglomerate of all the whole mod in its entirety instead of just the first couple levels? Because you were mentioning earlier on that uh, there was going to be a mission to turn on the lights, so something that you haven't seen. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure. I don't know how much of the mod we've got to see, but what I do know is that the quality of this, besides the part I mentioned at the beginning where you can walk into nothing, the quality of this is very high, so I feel it reflects very well on the finished product, and I would have no hesitation in saying to people, if you like playing betas, and you know, as long as you're aware it's a beta, then play this, because it is, it is very good. And you can help the author improve, because you can offer suggestions, so that's good. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's that. Uh, I really wish I could have played it. Uh, Night Terror looks like a great, great mod or a great beta, and I can't wait till it's released. Maybe I will wait till it's released after this discussion to play it. So, yeah, something came of this. But we have an exclusive today. Uh, either Thomas or Philip, you want to talk about this exclusive that we have? Well, I, perhaps, like, I already know what it is. I, I want... I want I... I would really appreciate it if you tell the viewers what they're going to find on your websites. I think that would be best coming from you. Okay, so what we have is we're pleased to announce that we have an exclusive teaser trailer, teaser trailer, coming from the Heart of Evil Napalm edition. And what this is here is this is a visual, a graphical, and sound, I believe, upgrade of the original Heart of Evil. It's not a source upgrade, it's a, an original Half-Life 1 mod. And the teaser trailer shows you lots of uh, enemies and the weapons and the gameplay. It's six minutes long and I watched nearly all of it. Now that sounds like a bad thing, but normally I don't watch these things for very long. But I sat there for a while and I probably watched four and a half minutes. So I think you will be very impressed. Have you had a chance to watch it, William? Oh yeah, I'm, like I said, uh, I've just recently played Heart of Evil for... You said this is for Half-Life 1, right? Yeah, Half-Life 1. And uh, I just recently played Heart of Evil, and I think I might play it again with this extra add-on edition. And I'm just like you, I don't usually play mods a second time through, but when it looks this visually different, and everything looks this much... I don't know, it almost seems like a whole separate mod, which is great, um, I might play it again. Yeah, there, there's a reason it looks like a whole separate mod, and I don't think this is communicated well, is because it is standalone. Uh, this isn't a package that you download and you put on top of your Heart of Evil installation. Uh, we've remade the maps, 
we've tweaked the code, we've tweaked the weapons, we've tweaked the enemies, and we've also addressed a lot of problems that people have brought up, uh, like the pathfinding on Barney. Uh, his role has significantly changed in the game. And uh, this is the first public hint that we've kind of given of this, but we've changed the ending. Oh, I like the ending, though. Da, da, da. See, now I'll definitely play it again. Definitely. That is an excellent idea. I haven't played Heart of Evil because I started and I got bored, to be honest. But uh, I think changing the ending on a mod is a cool idea. Well, it definitely makes people play through it again. That's def- That's obviously a given. But uh, this is good, too, because you were talking about how you're tweaking the pathfinding, and obviously you're repairing the things that uh, that needed to be repaired. And we've had this discussion before about Heart of Evil, and clearly Philip doesn't like it because there are specific things that uh, lead to a boring atmosphere. And I think what you guys are doing to the mod is really fixing that. And that's good, because it'll get a lot of people who lost interest of it playing it again. Yeah, I know there there is going to be some people... Some people, even close to me, have told me this, that uh, some of the changes to the ending, it's it might annoy the very die-hard original Heart of Evil fans, but I can't say too much right now, but there is a, there is a very good reason uh, why we have gone and changed the ending. Um, some personal reasons, but there is one big skeleton that's still hanging in the closet that we've yet to announce. And the reason that we haven't announced it yet is because it's huge, even bigger than Napalm Edition itself. But I'm, I'm just going to feed you all these little hints, and I'm not going to tell you a bloody thing, pretty much. <laughs> You're a classic developer. You're such a tease. But uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved then with Heart of Evil and uh, how everything worked to you creating the Napalm Edition. Uh, sure. Um, it started off as a form-based project on a website called uh, Half-Life Improvement Team. Um, it's pretty much one of the only places you can go nowadays for um, any anything that has to do with Half-Life 1 and modification, other than Half-Life Creations, of course. But uh, back at that time, it didn't. Half-Life Creations didn't quite exist yet. Um, what it, wh- how it started out is originally it was supposed to just be models, uh, sounds, and animation updates, and all of the all the minor stuff that you can do without editing the code. Um, it was it was supposed to be a follow-up to my other projects like Opposing Force Redux, which was just uh, yeah, models and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, it started off as models, and then people were like, oh, you're going to change the code, you're going to change the maps. And I kind of called people out on the carpet and said, uh, well, if there's anyone that's willing to do it, they can join the team. And that's what happened. We have great developers now, like Alex, who goes by the screen name Saxon Swine, and Jack, who goes by the screen name Vong. And uh, clearly awesome developers, but uh, hopefully that gives you an idea. So, how long have you been working on it? Ooh, that is a good question. I believe about a year now. It's terrible that you don't even know when you started working on it. It's just one of those things that carries over and over. I'm pretty sure it's been about a year now. 
So how how uh, have you gotten any responses from say Nathan, the original creator of Heart of Evil, or any help from the original developers? Um, we actually emailed Nathan very very early on in the project, and we got responses, and he was supporting us 100%. If you actually go to the original Heart of Evil webpage hosted on Planet Half-Life, you can actually see he made a news post, I believe in September of last year, or this year, can't remember, pretty sure it was last year, uh, showing some progress shots that we had sent him, that we what we were doing. But uh, back then it was still just models and stuff like that, now it's become a lot more. Okay, so um, you started working on this, and how does that tie in with your website, which is halflifecreations.com, which we'll link to in the uh, show notes? I mean, did did you decide to start the website based on the fact that you wanted a new home for the Napalm Edition, or was it the other way around? Um, Half-Life Creations came about... It, it's a brainchild that I, I share with James Minwheat, and... What we wanted is that we were like, okay, we make quite a few projects, and we know a lot of people that make quite a few projects, but finding hosting for these projects nowadays, especially since a lot of us are working in Gold Source and all the big wig companies that provide free hosting, they don't want anything to do with it. They want everything that's new. They want source mods. And we also found a problem that people were looking for a place to put up their uh, gaming portfolios, and they couldn't find any place that would offer them portfolio hosting. So we sat down and said, okay, what if we just buy our own corner of the internet and we host all of this stuff for free? I think that's great because um, there's kind of a lackluster in that now. Usually, you know, uh, Planet Half-Life used to do it. Um, clearly, as you just discussed, Heart of Evil is being hosted by Planet Half-Life, but it seems harder and harder to be hosted by the whole IGN franchise, and it's a little bit more uh, political in the sense of signing up, but if there's a mod development group who wants to be hosted, it seems like they can just go to Half-Life Creations and just get going, really. Yeah, we really don't have any restrictions on hosting. Like, I don't think I've ever turned down anyone that applied for hosting. And that being said, we don't get that many applications, but the ones that we do are very serious and they're very pleased to what we have to offer for packages. And uh, I think that that's one of the things that we can do better than a lot of people is that we can offer features that no one else can tell us about some of the other mods that you've got hosted there uh sure let's let me pull up a list that i keep here in my back pocket aka hosted sites on the hosted site links on halflifecreations.com stay out of my mind i have bullets there (laughs) okay some of the mods that uh we host on half-life creations um they're actually pretty big names um, one that's not quite made a public uh, release of themselves is Cry of Fear, and uh, James has been working on that one very hard, and uh, actually uh, Planet Half-Life is going to be getting a preview article on that one, so that's good. Half-Life Arrangement. Uh, this is made by Sisop, who uh, he works out of Argentina right now, and he has created some amazing, amazing, amazing effects in the Half-Life engine. Um, he's been pioneering uh, all sorts of shaders and particle effects and shadows. Like, the stuff that he's done, if you guys haven't seen uh, Half-Life Rebirth or Half-Life The Arrangement uh, public demo, I'm pretty sure you have, Philip, that the amount of graphical work that he has done with the original engine is quite amazing. Um, another mod we have is Half-Life Decay, which just recently made its first release. 
um, hoaxer uh, from Hungary was very uh, happy with what hosting package that we had with Half-Life Creations, and he's done some really amazing work with his mod. Um, another mod that needs more spotlight is Half-Life Zombie Edition. Um, that mod is unique in the sense that you get to play as a head crab, and you can hop onto different people and turn them into different styles of zombies. Um, I haven't been in contact with Shooter Andy as much as I should have, but uh, I'm really looking forward to what he produces. And, uh, yeah, we've got Heart of Evil Napalm Edition there. And uh, we also have a, a mod called Seven, or Seven Hours, I believe is what they call themselves. Um, they are showing some really good work on their mod DB profile, and I really look forward to it. Um, a whole bunch of, you know, Seven Hour War mods have kind of sprung up to tie in the, the space between the Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2 games, but they seem to be the ones producing the most, and I'm very proud to have them hosted through us. The uh, Is it Shooter Andy or Andy Shooter from Zombie Edition? He's uh, emailed me, and he's going to appear on a future Podcast 17 show, so we'll be able to learn much more about that uh, particular mod in the next few weeks. Also, we're hoping to get Rumple from Cry of Fear as well. So a lot of these, uh, a lot of these people who are being hosted on your site, uh, we hope to bring on the show. No, I, as soon as I found out about Podcast 17, I sent out an email to all the people that I, that I host, and I said, you guys need to get on this show. Because a lot of the mods, unfortunately, hosted through us, unless they do it themselves, don't get a lot of exposure. So as soon as I found out that Podcast 17 was an option available to them, I'm like, you need to get on this, because it's great. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. That's why Andy contacted me like immediately after he got yours and said, what do I do? I want to come on. So that's kind of cool. So other modders out there, don't wait for us to contact you, which we will do, but there are hundreds of mods out there. So take the initiative, become proactive, contact us, hassle us, and we'll get you on the show. So I think that's, that about does it with our interview with uh, Thomas, but of course he's going to stick around to talk about our discussion. Actually, just before we do that, just got one last piece of news, William, sorry. I got an email from the guys at halflifefusion.fr in France. Uh, basically, on the 19th, there is a meetup in beautiful Paris under the Eiffel Tower for everybody who... Uh, oh, in fact, no, sorry. It's on Saturday the 22nd of November at noon, and it's to celebrate the 19th of November 1998 release of Half-Life. So it's like a 10-year anniversary. So if you happen to be in Paris or you happen to be able to get to Paris and you want to meet other people and you, your French is good enough, then meet them under the Eiffel Tower at noon. Meetups are always fun. <laughs> I love doing meetups. I've I've never done one, and actually, over a year ago, I posted this article on Planet Philip, which was basically I beseech uh, Valve to run a Half-Life convention this November now, uh, you know, in honour of ten years of Half-Life. But I got I don't know a couple of hundred signatures on a petition, but nothing. They didn't reply to my email, so that was a shame. Oh, I would definitely go to that. Oh, you better believe it. If how, if if Valve ever did a meetup, like you know, like kind of like what Blizzard does with BlizzCon, because obviously BlizzCon is just like a StarCraft slash World of Warcraft now um, meetup. But if Valve ever did that, like a ValveCon or QuakeCon, because now Quake does it or id Software does it too. Uh, you know, they need a ValveCon. We should we should restart that petition, Philip. 
I think I think it's a really good thing, and I would actually take holidays and travel somewhere and meet all the other half-lifers and meet the you know the Valve team, and people would pay money for this. I think it would be a huge PR um, advantage, but they decided not. Oh yeah, I'd definitely pay money. I'd go anywhere, and obviously it would probably be in the United States, but like I don't know, I would try my best if it was in Europe or something. But that's awesome. Meetups are always fun. XKCD does, uh, I won't get into it, but if you're aware of a comic called XKCD, they do uh, meetups every day, actually, and it's called uh, uh, um, geohashing. And uh, there's a random location every day in your specific area, and you meet up with other people who read XKCD. It's fun. I've done it before, and I've met a couple people um, from my university, and uh, it, meetups are always fun. You get to meet people of the same interests of you, and uh, it's interesting to see all the different types of people who go to the said meetups. Yeah, I, I love that cartoon, so uh, I might even go to one of those if there was any in my area. Oh yeah, there are. Uh, it's It actually hashes certain areas of the globe, or all areas of the globe, to uh, you know a certain mile radius, and uh, it plots it everywhere so no matter where you live there's probably a meetup anyway on to the discussion okay so today half-life 2 is four years old oh happy birthday and uh the question really is here is how do we think it stood the test of time unlike uh not well not unlike but half-life 1 has been around for very nearly 10 years do you think we will still be playing half-life 2 in six years time yes I will be. I don't care about all you other guys, I will be. <laughs> I really don't know. Because, um... Yeah, I, I, I honestly really... I really don't know. I still love my Half-Life 1, and I'll probably be playing that for a longer period of time than I will be playing Half-Life 2. I can see myself, uh, say, when I'm 40 or 50, definitely going back to Half-Life 1. Maybe not going back to Half-Life 2, but I'll play it for nostalgic reasons. I can almost guarantee. Um, but in six years, I'll definitely be playing Half-Life 2. Um, one of the things we'll post is uh, uh, an interesting link by one of the guys at Rock Scissors Shotgun, uh, which is like a comparison between the gameplay elements of Half-Life 1 and 2. And it's quite interesting the way he explains it. It's, it's a very interesting piece, the way he talks about how you're in the corridors and you expect it to be linear and then suddenly when you come out into the daylight, you know, it's almost it blinds you and it gives you the feeling that you want to go back inside. And he, he makes another comparison between the tentacles and the striders, how the tentacle is the almost ultimate boss because within reason you can't kill it. Uh, whereas a strider, well, you think, oh, okay, but if you have enough rockets, well, you, you kind of kill it. And I am a, a huge fan of Half-Life 1, more than Half-Life 2, and I am so looking forward to Black Mesa because I think in many ways that Black Mesa will be around longer than Half-Life 2 itself. Yeah, I'm definitely a huger fan of Half-Life 1 than Half-Life 2, indefinitely. And uh, Rock Paper Shotgun always writes awesome articles. They have an awesome staff of writers. Uh, they, they're things that they touch upon is, you know, so grammatically correct and uh, literative that it sends shivers down my spine. I really love their writing style. No, I like I read the article, and one thing I do incredibly agree with 100% is that Half-Life 2 lacked the boss enemy. 
Like, yes, you had the choppers and the striders, and you kind of had that anticlimactic confrontation with Breen at the end, but there was no enemy that Gordon could not defeat with the weapons in his arsenal, and that that kind of disappointed me. It almost made me feel too powerful, you know? Like, in Half-Life 1, there were monsters that I literally, like, okay, I need to use a rocket engine to blow him up. I cannot, I don't have a weapon that will do any physical damage to him. And it made me feel small, and I, I liked that more than walking around City 17 just knocking enemies out of the way. It's like, yeah, you're big, but I can still kill you. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree 100%. You know, the Nihilith was one of the bosses that awed me when I first saw Nihilith. And, you know, even the Garg, and as you said, the Tentacle. The Garg I found more in, uh, entertaining. I mean, yes, you can kill the Garg, but the Garg is a good comparison to the Strider. It's it's a huge boss with tons of armor, but I found the Garg harder to kill than any of the Striders in Half-Life 2. Yeah, me too. I played a mod recently with a Garg, and oh, jeez, I was running scared. Really, really difficult. But the, the Striders don't scare me in, in any way, shape, or form. They're fun to look at, but they don't have that fear. Or the Big Mama, or the Gonark, as they call it in Half-Life, but the Big Mama, as we called it in the community. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's a better comparison between those two. Because that one, when I see that, I go, oh, shh, and then I have to run and hide and do everything that everybody else does. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see myself playing Half-Life 2 in six years, going back to the topic. But uh, I can see myself playing Half-Life 1 longer than I play Half-Life 2, put it that way. So I think that covers the discussion. Kind of a short discussion today, uh, but I kind of want to cover the website of the week before we close up the show. I know you have to go, Phil, but um, there's something that... I've discovered a long time ago that I just recently rediscovered in its Lit Fuse films. And, uh, Makima, is that how you say it? Makima? It's a Makima, um, uh, Machinima, whatever. Uh, Machinima site where they create various Machinima videos. Sorry, I was just going to say, somebody told me that it's pronounced Machinima similar to cinema. So, as I said Machinima, but whatever you want to pronounce it. Right, and their films are hilarious. Um, you know, you might have even saw, you you might have even seen some of these videos without even knowing it. One of their most popular is Ignis Solar, Solaris, which is uh, or Solus, which is the pyro in TF2, kind of all by himself in uh, in uh, the two fort map, running around wondering where everybody is. And obviously, they do Thundermelon and Combine Nation. These videos are hilarious and so expertly done that you need to check them out if you haven't been to LitFuse Films. They do other mods too, uh, or other games, I should say. They do Gears of War and uh, various other games that are AAA titles. But they mainly concentrate with Gary's mod in Half-Life 2. One of their largest endeavors and one of my personal favorites is the uh, War of the Servers movie. I, you can really call it a movie. It's like an hour and 14 minutes long. It's massive. And I really enjoyed that, The War of the Servers, mainly because I love Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds, and that was pretty much what they based that off of. And it was amazing. Like, putting together uh, eight minutes or six minute machinima and having it work is awesome. But an hour? Like, over an hour worth of video and story told through a game and it holds my attention now that that shows skill 
they really have a good design team. I once applied for LitFuse when I first originally found them and said, hey, how can I be an actor or, you know, even an extra or somebody that could be work with such a talented group of people? And they said, uh, well, you know, we're not really looking for anybody. So they seem really, uh, they seem really internal. They want to make sure they have the right people. They're so professional. It just amazes me how well they do machinima. I found them by accident, I can't remember where, but I watched The Maintenance Man. And uh, I was, what I normally do is I normally have something like this, like a YouTube video. I normally have it running in the corner while I'm doing something else. But this time I had to stop, I had to stop eating, and I had to just watch this through to the end. And it was incredible, really, really good. So if you've never seen these kind of things before, you must visit this site and you must watch them um, because it's a great fusion of games and storytelling. Yeah, most definitely. Moving on, talking about videos, um, another video that I saw today, which I've seen before too, again, is uh, Half-Life in 60 Seconds. It's always fun to watch this. Uh, we had a, you know, the heated discussion between you and Emmanuel two episodes back, Philip, reminded me of this when you guys were talking about storylines and, oh, here's Half-Life in, you know, a sentence. You Something goes wrong, you have to get out. But this reminds me of it because it's Half-Life in 60 Seconds summed up. They do Half-Life 2 in 60 Seconds too. Yeah, there's another one down there. It's interesting. It's interesting to watch. You know, it's all in Flash. It's one of those 60 Second Shorts. Yes, it's it's exactly. It's just a little bit of fun, you know. If you watch it, it's, you know, it's just for fun. If you've never played the game, it won't mean much to you. But the chances of you never playing the game and listening to this are very, very slim. So, just for sixty seconds of your life, just have a quick watch of this video. And we're looking for other videos. So, if you know of any really good, funny, short videos, then uh, comment on the uh, website for us. Okay, we have uh, a new section today, and this section is called Shoutouts. And this is a shout-out to the developers at Bizarre Creations. Uh, apparently, there's a group of guys at this developer who listen to the show in the office, and we just wanted to say thank you for listening. Keep up the good work. We love your games. I haven't played too many of them, but I'm sure the other um, listeners have. So thanks for listening, and keep making those games. Geometry Wars changed my life. It gave changed me new, your life. It gave me a new perspective of arcade games. Let's just put it that way. Thomas, have um, you played any of their games? To be honest, I have never heard of them. It, uh, I know it's embarrassing, but I've never actually heard uh, of this company. I'm not exactly too sure what they make. You're more of a PC guy, though. They did port Geometry Wars to Steam. Uh, that's one of their most... They're the biggest title. Obviously, they made the club in Project Gotham Racing. Um, Project Gotham Racing is another really, really big title. But uh, Geometry Wars is pretty much the definition of an arcade game. Uh, it started on Xbox Live Arcade, I believe. I can't be sh certain. But, you know, obviously they created Geometry Wars 2, and now it's on the Wii, and they have a full-fledged game. It's really, really fun. So it got a lot of people into the arcade environment on, say, XBLA or the PSN, PlayStation Network. So they're a really good development group. So thanks for listening. And that really brings us to the end of today's show. I would like to thank William for being my co-host and providing all the news. Thank you very much. And to Thomas, a.k.a. Editor321, for being on the show. It's very kind of you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Another wonderful show. 
Thank you, listeners, for spending uh, the time to listen to us. As always, we want to hear what you think, so please visit the website, rate the podcast once you've listened to it, comment on any of the points we raised. If you disagree with me, then great. Tell me why, and we can have uh, a discussion over it. Uh, If you want to contact us directly, you can use feedback at podcast17.com. So, thanks very much. Any last words, William? That is it. Happy gaming.